listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about August Wilson. Um, this was the playwright we selected for this month's uh, play reading at a focus club. I don't know. Are we a club? <laughs> I don't know. Let's say we're a club. And... Um, so we picked August Wilson because both of us felt like uh, we were really interested in his work and wanted to be more familiar um, with his body of work as a writer, kind of mm-hmm. across his whole career. Because um, I had read Fences, Piano Lesson, and Two Trains Running, but I didn't really have a sense of like his... Uh, development as a playwright over the course of his life. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. No, yeah. For me, I actually d- haven't read any of his plays, but I watched the movie Fences starring Denzel Washington. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I was, I knew who August Wilson was. Like, he is a playwright. Um, you know, stuff like, oh, O'Neill did his plays a lot, things like that. But Honestly, honestly, his work, looking at and reading it, this was my first time. Um, so shame on me, I know. Uh, <laughs> well, but I think um, it's worth mm-hmm. mentioning that neither one of us got a good foundation in his work from our schooling as playwrights. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, yeah, we didn't really study him in grad school. I think yeah. I read one of his plays in an undergraduate class I took. Um, But I don't know. I think his plays are often taught in the context of a larger course about say, you know, American playwrights or African-American playwrights, but um, not often taught as a course in and of Mm -hmm. themselves. You know, like we took a course on Chekhov. We took a course on Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. Ibsen, um, I think August Wilson is a playwright, you know, who you could build a whole course around his, his work. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so the three plays that we read, um, that we try to reflect the beginning, middle, end of his career was, um, Jitney, his first play. Uh, Someone in mid-career, The Piano Lesson, and then his recent play before he passed away was Radio Golf. So those are the three plays uh, that we shall talk about today. Um, But before we do, who the heck is August Wilson? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so just some basic... uh, Facts. One is like he was born on April 27, 1945. Hold up, Sarah. Uh, does that mean – does that make he, him an Aries? No, actually, he's a Taurus. Oh, okay. He might be on the cusp. Um, it's funny because Nick's birthday is April 26, so he's a Taurus. No, he's a Taurus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Taurus. Um, All right. Yeah. I'm uh, glad I was- asked. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so I'm glad you asked. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah, I was like, what's his horoscope or astrology? Um, so Wilson was born Frederick August Cattell Jr. 
in the Hill District of Pittsburgh, which uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which actually a lot of his plays are based on. Uh, his father, Frederick August Cattell Sr., was a Sudeten German immigrant who was a baker pastry cook. His mother, Daisy Wilson, was an African-American woman from North Carolina who cleaned homes for a living. Uh, so it's interesting how when or how his name changed mm-hmm. uh, from when he yeah, was he born. Yeah, he took his mother's last mother's, name. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And he, in 1959, he attended Central Catholic High School, uh, which he dropped out after he found it unchallenging, so to say. And then he attended Connolly Vocational High School, but found the curriculum unchallenging. Oh, oh, I read this wrong. Listeners, probably, I are, bet he probably found them uh, both, both unchallenging. unchallenging. Yeah, he probably, mm-hmm. it's like super well read and. Smart. Yeah. And then when he was in 10th grade, um, he was falsely accused of plagiarizing a paper um, by his teacher. And so he dropped out of that school as well. Mm -hmm. Gladstone High School. Yeah. Which I hadn't known before we started researching him that he um, did not graduate high school and didn't go to college. And he started um, essentially just like, uh, going to the library and building his own curriculum for himself, um, mm-hmm. reading really widely and kind of training his ear as a writer that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I found it so interesting. This quote I found, he said like, I dropped out of school, but I didn't drop out of life. I would leave the house each morning, go to the main branch of the Carnegie library in Oakland where they had all the books in the world. I felt suddenly liberated from the constraints of a prearranged curriculum that labored through one book in eight months. (laughs) Oh, man. That one textbook that you're stuck with in school (laughs) that you have to work through. Yeah, I love this uh, quote. Yeah. And I feel like you see this in his work, like just his his curiosity about history and um, love of learning – um, shows up across all of his plays. Like, it's just so clear that he, right from the beginning, was really interested in learning people's stories. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that yeah. was interesting to learn. Yeah. Um, I was also in- found it interesting of all the different odd jobs that he did. That he, mm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, worked as a porter, short order cook, a gardener, a dishwasher. These are not easy jobs. Um, but how much of that experience really comes through his plays that that um, about class and yeah. those people who are working uh, at a certain level, quote unquote. Um, so I. There's something about that that, based on that experience, really reads through through the characters, and like it just feels so much fuller because I think he did all these odd jobs, and he during these odd jobs he met people and talked to mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and listened to people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that really shows up in his work. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. So his so his career really took off. Um, in the 80s with his play Jitney, which was not his first play, but I think it was the first one we were able to find 
maybe the first one that had been published. Um, Mm -hmm. And he did not intend uh, with that first play to write a cycle that represented the whole 20th century. But at some point, I think maybe after he had written a couple of plays, he decided to write a play for each decade. So they, so he didn't write them in the order of like Jitney um, takes place, I think in the seventies. Right. Um, and then, so, you, you know, he went back in time and kind of jumped around, but his last play radio golf does play, take place in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the three plays that we picked, it was Jitney, Piano Lesson, Radio Golf. But really, in the cycle, it would be Piano Lesson because it took place in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And then Jitney would take place in the 70s and then Radio Golf in the 90s. So like that is a – well, it's obviously part of the larger cycle. But like those are the three plays that would be read in the order chronologically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll be talking from Jitney, Piano, and then Radio Golf. Because it's our show. (laughs) Uh, Sarah, you found this really great quote that I want to read about how he thinks about history because, um, you know, these plays are so much about um, just kind of the sweep of history and how much people are caught up in the undertow of history. So uh, here's the quote. I think all in all, one thing a lot of plays seem to be saying is that we need to, as Black Americans, to make a connection with our past in order to determine the kind of future we're going to have. In other words, we simply need to know who we are in relation to our historical presence in America, Um, which I think is true in all all of the stories of his plays, at least that I've read, are um, so much about particularly older characters, like reminding younger characters mm-hmm. of the past and of their history. Um, yeah. Almost in a way of saying like, this is, this is how you fit into a story that's like bigger than yourself. Like that seems to be mm-hmm. a theme in a lot of his plays where you see older characters kind of um, reminding younger characters of like how they fit into their family and, and, you know, going several generations back and um, but also how they fit into their children's lives as well. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I definitely see that. I think in all his plays, like, or the three plays that we definitely wrote for the show, read for the show that, uh, I had that feeling of this, this kind of back and forth pull between that older character and then this younger one. And then there's just sort of like, they're trying to understand each other, Mm -hmm. but it's like this constant back and forth that, and trying to sort of figure this out. Um, and then, and, and then it was like through, you know, a recollection. It was like a monologue. It was through a, a telling of an incident in the past or like a someone from the past or, um, yeah. So I definitely recognize and I see that. And then, so in terms of history being kind of being a big part of how he uh, uses that in his work is so it's 
just it's in it. <laughs> it's all in mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's cool. So what are uh, some of the other mm-hmm. similarities you notice across the three plays that we read? Yeah. Um, I think one, I mean, just his style of writing for sure. Mm-hmm. Even though kind of change evolved, but like, again, it was like the musicality of it still, there's this rhythm and then all three of them, even though the, maybe the style, maybe the language has changed, but like there's this musicality and rhythm to it that um, just fun to read. Um, and yeah. And then where it takes place, uh, it's all very close to his home. It feels mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. um, the setting has never really changed. It seems for him. Um, yeah. What about you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I also keep coming back to the language. It's so beautiful. And I think, you know, poetic can mean a couple of things. Partly it's like the rhythm and the sound of it, but it's also, I noticed rereading these or reading these plays that he uses a lot of figurative language too, but in a way that doesn't feel... Um, formal it feels like how people speak but there's Mm -hmm. you know people are constantly using metaphors and Mm. um, like uh, kind of figurative expressions Um, and I think he is so good at capturing and highlighting the idiosyncrasies of everyday speech Mm. and yeah I agree it's just really fun to read Mm. um and just all the images, you know, um, I'm thinking about piano lesson and they keep talking about the ghosts of the yellow dog, um, mm. you know, and the yellow dog is this train and the, and there were these people that were burned in this box car um, mm-hmm. after this white family discovered that they're, piano had been stolen and um i mean just that just that line the ghosts of the yellow dog is like so haunting and uh poignant and and also you know poetic um like he he has this real um skill for language mm mm-hmm. And now that you say that, um, one of the things we learned about him was his love for blues. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wondered about that, that if that um, interest or like that that passion for the blues and then what that means, um, how that was influenced through the music um, as someone coming from, you know, a black American uh, experience, like – I kind of wonder about that. Like, I mean, he was also a poet. He started off as a, being a poet, but mm-hmm. I kind of wondered like how much of that from music, that blues and being a poet and how that translated in his process uh, through the play writing. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first play that we're going to talk jump into is Jitney. Um, first of all, I was like, what the heck is Jitney? <laughs> I was like, um, I was like, I thought it was some like 
I don't know, some slang. I have no idea. But um, so Jitney, the play is about these like drivers. Um, I wasn't sure if they were taxi drivers of some kind, but they're like obviously drivers mm-hmm. that they can pick up calls and they uh, they're there to uh, give people rides. Um, so. And I didn't understand the context of this at first, but I, because I think one mm-hmm. of the things I really admire about this play is he doesn't, he doesn't um, feel like he has to explain this world, you know, mm-hmm. um, he just trusts that you're along for the ride. Oh, ha ha. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but the context that I didn't understand was that um, the, the Jitney drivers are, operating their business um, in black neighborhoods because the taxi companies, the like official city sanctioned white run taxi companies won't come into the black neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah. So this play is just revolves around these drivers and sort of what we learn about these characters in this workplace. It's like a workplace kind of a comedy drama that's that everyone you, and this is where I was like the language, I don't know, was so um, there was a lot of like entrances and exits and there was just like people coming in talking or cutting people off. And Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, and then there was also in the beginning just like picking up calls. Like there are all these phone calls. There's this, phone ringing and so yeah this is I really felt like this was a play that uh you could just see like his mind working here like you could yeah. see he's trying something here and uh like this is really uh the start it, like feels like a start of something um, it's pretty amazing and this yeah. is the play that won him the drone I guess you found that quote I didn't know that but um Mm -hmm. it's so cool to read this early play and see all these themes that he will later explore um further in his later work Mm -hmm. you know so this idea I think I was really struck by the father-son relationship um Mm -hmm. so so we find out in the play that this character Becker um his son has just gotten out of prison um, and he was in prison for 20 years um, because he killed this white woman who lied about him and said he raped her. Um, and it really feels like the heart of the play is the father-son relationship and, and just the kind of the pain um, that both mm. of them feel in not being able to reconcile with each other. But what's so interesting is like that's it's almost like that's the that's the wound that he can't quite look at yet in this play because there's really not that much. I mean, most of the play is the other characters. Um, and and we only spend a little time with his father and son. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. And it just seems to me like that's what he really wants to write about. But at the time he's writing this play, um, 
it's like he's he's not yet sure how like uh like how how to I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Like expanding their relationship a bit more or Yeah, I just feel like in his later plays he goes into that kind of um father son pain, you know, dynamic, that kind of love and tension mm. um so much deeper, but in this play we only see a couple very very short scenes um between right. these two characters. Yeah, I would say in this for me, the the two biggest like storylines was right. It was this father son Becker uh, was it was it Booster mm-hmm, Booster and and then uh, the uh, husband wife was a young blood mm-hmm. and then like well and then she calls him Darnell but yeah Darnell. But the play calls him young blood yeah yeah um and this whole speculation that he was cheating on her and. But she, he's really trying to buy a house for her, um, and it was sister involved. They like uh, her sister was involved. So there, so I feel like those were the two big ones that I, that got took away. That was kind of traveling from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something about I want to go back to uh, that monologue. Becker's son um, Booster had killing a murder. So up until that point, I just felt. The, the dialogue was like really pretty fast and quick. Mm-hmm. But when Turnbow is telling the story, like this is where I just felt like everything slowed down for me in a way that was like, I, it like caught me and I was like really paying attention in a way. I was like, because the story of how Booster got um, caught and like why he was in jail and why he murdered this girl, like was so uh just mm-hmm. like lot so much weight in that story which i think right so when we go look at his relationship with his father and they have an interaction with each other like there's just so much because of this context that he provided that i was like oh wow like their father son relationship is so broken um yeah by having yeah. this context so yeah there's something about that the way he wrote that and crafted that that emotion um, that I I really felt that in those scenes. Yeah. And then there's that scene where Booster, you know, comes back the next day and tries to kind of make amends with Becker and, and Becker like won't even look at him or acknowledge him Mm -hmm. and then walks out of the room. And I, and I think that's the last time they see each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just so, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, and I the, think mm-hmm. you know this. So, so I had a really. I know we're going to talk about radio golf in a moment, so I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. But like with radio golf, I really felt like things might actually turn out okay. You know, like it was kind of this mm-hmm. roller coaster of emotion. Like I started to feel like uh, super hopeful that this guy was going to get to keep his house, and but with mm-hmm. Jitney. Jitney seems like a much um, a a much darker play in that it you I don't really expect Becker and Booster to be able to repair their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from that first scene, we see them interact with each other, 
and I'm, I guess, I guess what I'm tracking in Jitney is like whether or not they're going to be able to keep this car business, even though the neighborhood's being, um, boarded up, Mm. but I'm not really holding out hope that the family, you know, that the, that the relationship between these two characters is going to be repaired. Although it does, we do get the repair of the relationship between young blood and, and Rena. So I guess that is, yeah, that's like a real. Yeah. Kind of happy ending (laughs) for the two of them, but Mm -hmm. yeah. I would love to see a production of this. Me too. I think uh, Center Theater Group in LA, they did it last year. Oh, cool. Uh, I wish I had seen it now. I, I saw like, oh, August Wilson play. I've never seen it on stage and I probably missed it. Shame sure on me, folks. No, sure no. it will happen again. <laughs> nope, it's never going to happen again because no one's going to come back to theater ever again. But I do think this one is not done you know, nearly as often as, you know, fences and piano lesson. Oh yeah. Right. Um, totally. Which bring, yeah. So piano lesson, um, the second play that we read in the cycle, it would be, uh, before Jitney. Um, mm-hmm. but this was written in the eighties, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. It, 80s. Yeah. And it won the Pulitzer prize yeah. in 1990. Uh, so yeah, this play, uh, Sam likes it. I love this play. <laughs> I love, oh I love this play. Um, I, I like Radio Golf just a little, little bit more, but, um, so this story, do you want to talk about what it's about? Um, yeah. So, um, it's in the thirties and, um, it's really, it really revolves around this, um, piano that has been in this family uh for generations and and over the course of the play you find out the history of the piano but the reason it's at the center of the story is that this character boy willie is trying to buy um the land from the white family that owned his ancestors as slaves. Um, and so he's trying to raise the money to buy this land. Um, and he had, I think he has like two thirds of the money and he can get the last third of the money if his sister agrees to sell this piano. Um, and so you find out the history of the piano is that, um, this white, man who owned their ancestors um, sold a mother and son um, in exchange for this piano to give his wife for, I think, an anniversary present. Mm -hmm. Um, And that then the the father of the the husband slash father of those two slaves, those two enslaved people that were sold, 
carved their faces onto this piano, along with like the family's whole history. Um, and so this piano is like covered with these carvings kind of telling their family's story. And so then the piano was stolen, um, I think like 20 years before this play started, like in the 1910s, um, which is how they came to have it in their family. And so, and so anyway, it's, so uh, the sister, um, Bernice is like, there's no way we're going to sell this piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, Willie, you know, he's like, so boy, Willie is like, if we can use this, if we can sell this piano in order to get the land back, then that is completely justified. That's a good reason to sell it. And she's mm-hmm. like, um, this, from her perspective, this piano represents like, the blood and tears of her family. And so selling it is like akin to selling your own family and oof, it's so painful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this play was premiered at the Yale repertory theater on November, 1987 under direction of Lloyd Richards. And like you mentioned, it won, uh, the 1990 Pulitzer Prize for Drama, and it also won the 1990 Drama Desk Award for Outstanding New Play, and nominated for Tony Tony Award uh, for Best Play. Yeah, this play, um, that sibling, right? How this, what this piano means and symbolized for this family, and just how these two siblings have such different views about it, and. Uh, it, yeah. Um, I, I got, I don't, who are you rooting for? <laughs> Honestly, like, I just don't even know. I think, yeah. it, I think what the reason this play is such a masterpiece is that he takes um, the, the raw trauma of slavery and puts it into this, symbol of a piano which he then puts on stage and you know makes the audience stare at for two hours or however long this play takes like you're literally staring at the present day repercussions and after effects of the trauma of slavery and watching this family try to figure out how to how do you move forward from that like i i just i think it's um it's so brilliant and part of the reason it works is that there's not really I mean I think everything inside of me recoils from the idea of like selling this piano Mm -hmm. and yet it's not an easy answer because boy Willie wants to use that money to reclaim this land you know it's like yeah uh, I don't know what about you who are you rooting for Oh, I, yeah, uh, I really wasn't sure. Like, I think part of me was like, yeah, uh, boy, Willie, claim that land back. Like, take some of that, you know, like, yeah, you're right. Uh, But at the same time, I just found myself, 
like I don't know. Like I, I was like, man, I, <laughs> I mean, this is just me. But I was like, why, why do I want something that's constantly reminding me of something horrible? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then why not try to, to have some sort of like, just like a second chance, like you know, like you know, mm-hmm. let's move forward let's have like a new let's have finally have some prosperity for once like i mean the uncle um was saying to bernice or not to bernice but like how if she just she if she and this guy avery marries well like they just or like they just get married they could she could do well like she she should be fine uh and so there's a sense of like why yeah why can't she just move forward like why can't she start a new life or like with this guy and or or just um take care of her daughter uh and just live okay but there's this thing of like clinging uh to the piano in a way that uh, it's tragedy of itself Mm -hmm. um well because i think what august wilson is getting at is that uh you can't we can't just forget the past, you know, it's like, yeah, right. that's just in all of his plays. Everybody who tries to forget the past, like bad things happen to them in his plays. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Also just like knowing what I know today, 2020, I, I also thought about the thing I thought about was like, even if they sell the piano, is it enough to, you know, fully be compensated of just this horrible thing. <laughs> um, right. Like right. and it'll never be enough. Like and I feel like boy Willie, like no matter what, he's just trying so hard to to fill something in his life. Like to to sort of like sell this piano. It's gonna, you know, take my half. I'm just gonna sell it and I'm gonna uh benefit from whatever I can get. But I'm like, is that still enough? Like will that be enough for uh your the tragedies um mm-hmm. in which i, I think it's like, so interesting yeah. that it's a piano too that it's i mean he could have chosen any object right but knowing what we know about his love of the blues and how he's so inspired by music um i think it's really telling that he picked a piano mm-hmm. you know and that the the daughter um Maritha, I think, um, you know, that she plays the piano and that it, it's this instrument that creates beautiful music and has these beautiful carvings and yet, you know, has, is, is a representation of this, you know, horrible crime that was committed against their family. Um, yeah. So another element of the in the play, and I think you really like, uh, was the the element of like magic and the ghosts. There's uh, a ghost. Yeah, there's a ghost. I mean, like I don't know if like if it's very creepy, right? It yeah. is, yeah. But it's in a way that you know, unlike Jitney and Rio Golf, there's just this element of like magical was it realism? I don't know what it is. Like there's a sense of like, there's something bigger than these characters. That's Mm -hmm. like 
that's looming over them or some kind or and in the stage directions they scream they're like they see the ghost they scream the setters ghost they scream um <laughs> like i was yeah. like what sarah, uh, sarah how would you if you were directing this play how would you um create <laughs> that feeling in the audience right we talked about it so yes uh because in the stage direction there's there it says like the presence of Sutter's ghost is just like could be felt and so I suggested that um, if I was to direct this play that I would just make the theater just like super cold like below 60 Ugh. degrees like un- this like uncomfortable cold because if I know anything about ghosts is that there are cold spots that they sometimes <laughs> I was like okay there's just gonna be this one big cold spot in the room and then it's like People will just be like, oh, my gosh. I would have to find a bigger way to time it because it takes a while for the room to get cold, right? So it would yeah, be probably and it's like- loud. You know, AC is loud. So <laughs> right. everyone would know it was coming like, yeah. a few minutes before. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, maybe or another option is like I have a ceiling of like ice and I'll just drop it on the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, what the hell? Ow. Oh, my God. Remind me never to come see a play that you direct. Like ice cubes just like Who falling knows what in your head. Um, so stuff like that, I think could I could really uh, really serve August Wilson's play in a way <laughs> that reflects uh, the ghost. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I just yeah. I that's I think that's the ghost though it feels really necessary for the play because because they're so far away from. Like they've moved north and they're in a totally different, you know, area of the country. Um, I, you know, I think it just having the ghosts show up brings that fear like right into their house and Mm -hmm. makes it super immediate. And I think there's this sense that like, um, that, that, Oh, it's just so terrifying. Like they can't get away. You know, it's like that this ghost is able to find them in their house in Pittsburgh. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like up until that point, I wasn't sure if the ghost was real at all. I was like, maybe it's just all their imagination. Like they're constantly, you know, quote unquote, stuck in their past or whatever. And so I'm like, oh, you know, this is just not real. But then at the end, I'm like, oh, yeah, this, there is a real ghost. This, <laughs> there is. Oh, shoot. Yeah, this is scary. Uh, but, like, even if it is just in their heads, that's still just as scary, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think so. Especially if they all are experiencing in their own way of what this ghost is. Meaning, like, mm-hmm. even if it's like it, that, the, the fact that each have their or but even few of them have that this experience of witnessing goes is it is scary yeah even if it's not real that they're experiencing something horrifying um yeah yeah and also you're totally right i just really like it when plays have ghosts in them (laughs) (laughs) uh all right. Should we so, talk about radio golf? Yes. Um, this is a you know the the final of the three uh, that we read, but also 
August Wilson's last play before he passes away. Um, you like this play a lot. I, out of the three, I did like this a lot more. And I think it's because, you know, I'm not into like political drama, but it is something I, it, it's like, I can't, I don't know what it is. It, it is, has some thrill to it to see like, are they going to figure this out? Like there's a, a sense of uh, immediacy to it that I was mm-hmm. like, Oh man, are they going to, are they going to get it? Are they going to, is he going to stop? And you know, to, to, to you felt uh, you, you mentioned that you felt like uh, in this play uh, it was a lot more like optimistic. You're a little more hopeful. Yeah. I mean, I really thought like there was a point about three quarters of the way through where I was like, oh, maybe this play is going to have a happy ending. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I I thought about that. So when you said that, and I kind of thought about this when I was reading, but it's the first time we're like, oh, a successful uh, black people, you know, they are in, they are in a position of power of some kind. Like they have some, you know, property or like they're business people. Does the main character Harmon's running for mayor. It just Mm -hmm. feels like, there's some ownership finally mm-hmm. of some kind. And you're like, maybe through that, they'll actually, he'll figure this out. So, but before you jumped into that even more, let me just like real quickly talk about what this play is about. Um, so, so it's his main character, Harmon Wilkes. Uh, he wants to become mayor, first black mayor of Pittsburgh. Uh, and he wants to, uh, coming from family who are real in real estate, he has this vision of, transforming his childhood neighbor home. Uh, But when he learns that this property that he thought was his uh, family's, though he had purchased it rightfully, but was not, uh, it was owned by this uh, character, old Joe, um, because he wanted to like, uh, Harmon wanted to build, it was part of this whole deal that you're going to build this, this, beautiful development real estate multi-million dollar thing of like <laughs> with a starbucks and a whole starbucks foods. Whole foods. like it's gonna help elevate this neighborhood um but this whole mystery of like who owns this and when we find out that it was sort of taken from old joe but his father so the whole mystery is like we find out that they're related sort of yeah. the drama, which is kind of a really cool reveal. Um, but figuring out, will Harmon Wilkes be able to, you know, save this house for old Joe? Yeah. Um, which was And kind of still, I think that the, the trick, the needle he's trying to thread here is like, can he save the house for old Joe and also have his development? Mm-hmm with the Starbucks and the Whole Foods, you know, in the apartment building and become mayor. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. Like, uh, it's just such a, you know, it's like so many things he's gunning for in this yeah. play. Yeah. 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 But like, um, you almost think he's going to get, all, you almost yeah. think he's going to be able to get all three of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why it, made, it was such a suspenseful thing. I'm like, and I was rooting for him. Like he, mm-hmm. yeah, it would be great. Like he, he saves his family, this 
home for old Joe uh, that has some history, family history. He's going to become mayor. He's going to, you know, also, you know, makes his business, family business was successful by building this multi-million development. But uh, and and do it by doing the right thing. Like the morally yeah. right thing is to keep old Joe's house standing and you know I just he just has so much integrity when he insists that they don't tear down this house and I I just want so bad for him to like win for that (laughs) you know yeah and there was just something about I don't know I I'm trying to still figure this out but in this play I was like oh like they kind of played by the, you know, quote unquote, like white rules, you know, like they mm-hmm. quote unquote, like, and, and there is this like, by playing by these rules that it could work like, oh, because they, you know, put themselves in a position where, uh, that they're playing by the rules and then they're going to find some sort of success. And then we find out like, what's the character Roosevelt, his mm-hmm. friend, kind of playing by the rules in the worst possible way. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and there's this whole thing about him. Uh, there's this guy, Bernie Smith, uh, purchasing a radio station by like basically like a token black man or something like that. There's some diversity thing. Um through that but being right but, like because the seller is able to get this tax credit um, yeah for selling the station to a team that has a black man on it um and then the bernie guy is able to you know be part of profit off of this because he's in on the deal yeah so crazy it's crazy uh so i'm just like uh the fact that at the end it just does not work out. Um, and people who don't really play by the rules benefit. Uh, and that it just, ugh, it sucks. Um, but again, it's these themes. I, all three of the plays, they just sort of, they're all saying something in the core. Uh, mm-hmm like thematically but it's the 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 context of time has changed Mm -hmm. and so these core idea these values these um what it means to be you know black american is is like shifting changing in a way um like the questions are still there. Like it's like I don't know what it is. The, maybe it's the same. We're asking the same questions, but like the answers are kind of changing. I don't know. Do you think this play feels the most accessible because it's in the '90s and that's familiar to us? Because I, I mean, I think this play is like so '90s in its, you know, not just in the mm-hmm. colloquialisms, but yeah. In my mind, of course, I was a child, but like in my mind, the '90s are really represented by this kind of um, runaway growth and gentrification and this sense that like, you know, if we just tear down all these buildings and build a bunch of high rise apartments, like everything will be better, you know, and have a big deal with Whole Foods. And I mean, at least like for me growing up in DC, I, I feel 
I'm like familiar with that story. Um, and so I completely agree that these themes are present in all of his plays and that like, this is the form they take in the nineties. Um, and, and because you and I are children of the nineties, it's like maybe more familiar to us. I think so. I think that, but also it, out of the three, there's this like, genre of kind of a political thriller to it that yeah. it was like, yeah. like, like he, it was like that. Yeah. It, it was kind of like Augie Wilson was, I don't know, trying to do his version of West Wing or something. Like I, that's why I was like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was kind of fun in that way that because he's running a campaign throughout the course right. of the play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Like it's, He's kind of, I don't know if it's a genre thing, but he's sort of playing around something there. Um, and uh, I think I mentioned this, but it, it yeah, I, I don't know, because Ginny was takes place in the 70s. And so the language there was a bit different. So it could be that could be part of it, that he was taking on a language of a certain time or like the speak. Mm-hmm. So radio golf is obviously like it's nineties upper class or um, kind of attitudes that it was like mm-hmm. kind of fun to watch and like see how it unfolded. Um, but that I think that's interesting that you say that it's something that to the familiarity of that time because of being kids of the nineties. I don't know. I mean, I just I just wonder if that's part of it um, for us. Mm-hmm. I, and something too I notice in all of these plays is just the the way money is at front and center of every story. You know, it's like money is how you get anywhere in any of these stories. Yeah. Um, like especially Jitney, people are constantly, and I think the specificity of it too, like give me four dollars, you owe me fifty cents. Like it's just constantly these sums of money that are being named. Um, and then radio golf, it's like $10,000. You know? Right. He, he offers him the check, like here's $10,000 for your house and old Joe, old Joe, you know, won't accept it. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. There's something about the, that exchange, what you just said. So in Jitney, it's like 50 cent, $4 might not be in comparison to the you know value of the radio golf or like a multi-million dollar development or real estate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's something about it's like how they view the money or like mm-hmm. how this exchange happens and like putting value and weight in the money of this exchange is like it doesn't matter how much or like, uh, you know, how much money is involved. It's still there. It's just how they view the money is still there. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah. is so interesting. Yeah. Well, right. It's like, it's like, you know, money is everything until it's not. It's like money means everything. And, you know, it's like representative of dignity and pride and like, uh, you know, care, taking care of your family. But then like once it gets to a certain amount, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of meaningless you know, like that $10,000 check is never going to mean 
what a house means. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of reaching here, yeah. but I think I think August Wilson has a lot to teach us about money in all of his plays, mm-hmm. and, how, and and the way yeah. America thinks about money and and runs on money and uh, uses money to substitute kind of like a shorthand in so many conversations that are about so much more than money. Right. Yeah. The, yeah, the question I keep coming back to is like, what, how do you value life? Mm-hmm. Um, what, you know, what is life worth? Um, I mean, if you, I hate to bring this up to present day, but if you just think about like all our campaign, what's going on in the, in the world right now or in the country is the word defund the police, like defund mm-hmm. that's in relation to money. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, and when you think about, you know, the wealth of this country yeah. was built over hundreds of years through stolen land and stolen labor. Um, yeah. And so it's almost like, well, not even almost, it is like, you know, every time August Wilson mentions money in one of his plays, he's reminding us that like this wealth came from somewhere, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not like, abstract it like literally is a substitution for a representation of stolen lives and stolen labor mm-hmm. that this country accumulated through slavery and genocide for hundreds of years um, yeah. yeah and yeah i i am so impressed that he over the course of his life, his career, like all the templates he's written, like he, it's like he never let go of that. These, these questions that he wanted mm. to like grapple with, or like the questions that he wanted the audience to experience or like know about these stories. Like he, it's like he, it, he really stuck to it. <laughs> I don't know the best mm-hmm. way to say it, but he just like never let go of it. And that's, yeah, I am amazed by that that he his what's the word ethos is that the is that the way Mm, mm -hmm. it's like it never changed for him like it yeah yeah that's so true grounded and also we haven't really talked much about this but i i want to just throw a note out there about his humor because i laughed out loud so many times (laughs) reading these plays like he even though of course they're you know heavy and incredibly uh thought provoking that's a dumb word but for lack of a better word but like they also they there's this levity a lot of the time there's this kind of joy um and appreciation of um humor as well Mm -hmm. just like how funny people can be yeah um I really in radio golf. I really loved old Joe. Like I just yeah yeah. Every time he came on, he was just like, well, like calling out the obvious or like he, the way he just sort of enters kind of at the worst timing. But like he, I mean mm-hmm. he, and but something about his, his like energy. He was just so sympathetic, and uh, but the way he contrasted um, to Harmon. Uh, 
it, it was it just it was funny to read mm-hmm. um yeah humor definitely it, oh my god the story about how he like got what was it like he got accused of fraud for walking a dog and then like the details start to come out about the story and it turns out he mm-hmm. like after this blind man died, he took that blind man's dog like, <laughs> walking around with a seeing eye dog and then he put on some yeah. sunglasses. <laughs> like, oh yeah. yeah. Just the specificity of these stories. So funny. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. So I guess before we move on to glistens, uh, any final thoughts, Sam, about August and I'm just so in awe and I want to go read all the rest of the plays now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would love to read it in the chronicle, the order of. Yeah. Like 1910, 1920. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would do that. I wonder if there is like a big collection of all his plays. I just want it all in one and then just like read it through. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that's, I had the same sense after reading these three plays. I was like, I, think i want to go back and just read all of them in the order of the time and then get this full experience <laughs> and, and then, then see, i want to see yeah. them i want a theater to put all of them on in a single season so i can oh wow wouldn't that be amazing if they had like if they used an ensemble cast and so you know it's the same actors kind of <gasps> returning oh that'd be so yeah right? i i mean i've it says here that uh when we were doing a research, it was just like, it's not all about a same family or anything, but there's like references yeah. that are made. So I would love to see how, like, to read all that or see it all and kind of catch those references. Yeah. Um, no. That'd be so cool. I'm trying to think, like, I'm trying to think, like, what kind of playwright does this feels like a big saga of a, an experience? Like, who else has done this other than Star Wars? Star Wars doesn't count. Star Wars? <laughs> like, what? Oh, my God. I love that that was where you went. And <laughs> but, like, it's not like, a play. I know it's not a play, <laughs> but, like, this giant, like, larger than, yeah, like, whole experience. Like, an like ongoing project. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Worst example, but it's it came up. Yeah, no, but it's a good question. I don't, I don't know that there's really anything like this. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I keep thinking about is how, like, we're now twenty years removed from the twentieth century. That's just crazy to me. Like, in my mind, we're still kind of in the same world as these plays, or in the same kind of time span of these plays, but actually we're two decades away from this century now. So, you know, I want to see a cycle about the 21st century, I guess. Hmm. All right. Get on it, Sam. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, shall we go to Glissons? Yes. We'll move on to Glissons. Um, Okay, so my lesson is I really hate fireworks. I, gosh, I I moved to a new apartment and it was 4th of July this weekend and we live kind of, apartment's kind of in an alley. So the fireworks was just like echoing through the alley and I, it really felt like, like, it was like a, 
gunfight out there or something. Like oh my I, God. it was the worst. Um, my cat was fine. Like she seemed like very like oh I'm used to this. I don't know why she would act like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I hated it. I hate it. I really wish we could just like no more fireworks. <laughs> I thought I was going to have a bunch around here, but there were hardly any. Like, I even – I gave my dog a sedative in case. Um, but, you know. Yeah. I think I only heard two. Oh, my gosh. It was going through – I mean, I think large – I think it's – I was so tired that I kind of slept through it all. Uh, but, like, at 5 a.m., someone – did fireworks at 5 a.m. in the morning. Why? Why? I have are no idea. That? I have no idea. People are insane. Ugh. Is it legal in LA? I, you know, I have this like, maybe I read it wrong, but I thought just due to the recent events and like the protests, like I thought they banned uh, fireworks yesterday. Most cities don't allow fireworks, but Most people cities. do it anyway, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, I hated it. But, um, yep, <laughs> a negative glisten, a complainer, a complaint. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. That's okay. I kind of have a negative glisten, too. I um, injured my two of my fingers and my right hand holding my dog's leash when he suddenly lunged. And I went to urgent care. Um, so I guess maybe my glisten is urgent care. <laughs> It turned out I did not need an x-ray, although honestly, it's like six days later and my finger still really hurts and has this like weird bump on the side of it and looks kind of crooked, so I don't know. Maybe I should go back. Yeah. Yeah. I keep staring at it and poking at it, which I'm sure doesn't Don't, help don't poke at it, Sam. But no. it does hurt still, mm-hmm. but it, it seems to be getting better. Anyway, um, this was the first time another human being had touched me since March. <laughs> uh so that was you know i guess that's a glisten (laughs) so we good yes listeners our glisten this week is we're complaining and we are uh appreciating our care but like missing human touch (laughs) through the uh the quarantine um yeah. Um, so yes, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Listeners, well. tell us what you think about these plays. We want to hear mm-hmm. from you. And also, really quickly, uh, maybe next month, our next sort of like this looking at a player in their their body of work uh, is going to be Paula Vogel. Uh, so the plays that we picked for this is going to be um, one uh, and Baby Makes Seven. Second one is How I Learned to Drive and her most recent play, Indecent. Yeah, so read those plays and let us know what you think. Yeah. And this time next month, we will talk about them. Yeah. So, yeah. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Sam, did you enjoy the show? I did. I did. (laughs) Did you? Oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah, it was great. Okay. You can delete this part. Oh, I'm not.